0: The first reading can be found on page 710 of the Pew Bibles. From the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verses 1 to 3. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity, and as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised and we held him of no account. The second reading Can be found on page 65 of the pew Bibles, in the Book of Luke, chapter 4, commencing at verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan, and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing at all during those days, and when they were over. He was famished. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become a loaf of bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, One does not live by bread alone. Then the devil led him up and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And the devil said to him, Do you... I will give their glory in all this authority for it has been given over to me and I give it to anyone I please. If you then will worship me it will all be yours. Jesus answered him It is written Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple saying to him If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every test, he departed from him until an opportune time this is the word of the lord thanks be to god
1: that is prayer lord would you just open up the scriptures to us this morning as we read your written word and hear this spoken word May we see above all the living word, the word made flesh, Jesus Christ our Saviour. In his name we pray. Amen. What did Jesus look like? Nobody ever thought, what did, what did Jesus look like? You know, Was he tall? Did he have a beard? What colour eyes did he have? Was he, was he slim? You know, what did... Jesus look like you know if you, if you look at your handout or maybe if we, we look at the, the first image as it comes to, up on the screen you know for centuries artists have portrayed Jesus in, in, in different ways you know if you've got one on your handout here's what it might come up on the screen I don't know how clear it will be this is a very famous painting of Jesus you know does Jesus look like this you know, tall. Nice glowing halo around him. You know, it must be right, mustn't it? You know, because that picture hangs in the north transept of St. Paul's Cathedral. So Jesus surely must have looked like that. Or, or what about this one? This is a very famous picture of Jesus. The head of Christ or also termed the bearded lady Jesus. Did Jesus look like that? Or what about, what about this one? It's a bit scary, isn't it? The sacred Heart Jesus. Or I call it Spooky Jesus. You know, what did Jesus look like? Or what about, what about this image that we have here? This one must be right. Because it was produced by the BBC and it's computer generated. So it must be right, mustn't it? computer Jesus. Or if you're not happy with this one, this one must be right. Somebody said to me at the 8 o'clock they had a picture of this on their bedroom wall when they were growing up. This one's got to be right, hasn't it? We all know it's got to be right because it was produced by the Church of England. In fact, 20 years ago this was produced at this time of year, by the Church of England. You know, if we show this last image, we have all these different images of Jesus. You know, we can go into ancient church buildings like this. We only need to look around and look at how Jesus is portrayed. Like, for instance, on that window over there, we can see all these different images of Jesus. So even if we go into modern church buildings, we can see all these different images of what Jesus must have looked like. So how comes when we come to reading the Bible and we come to reading the Gospels of Jesus and the life of teaching of Jesus, do we find no physical description of what he looked like? And we all know the answer is, okay, we don't know what the answer is. I'll tell you what the answer is. Because it wasn't important. You know, just think about that for a moment. In the world in which we live today, you know, where our appearance or what we look like is hugely influential. How people's lives and their self-esteem are just crushed by some sort of Snapchat remark or a Facebook post of something that you think you look good in and somebody thinks that you do not look good in and your whole image gets completely shattered. And yet the physical appearance of Jesus in the Gospels was just not important. Why is that? It's because the questions that we come to when we look at the Bible, we need to think about which ones we need to ask first. Remember how I said last week that when we come and look, the questions that often we look at instinctively when we look at Bible texts come with our twenty first century eyes. And they're good questions to ask. They're questions about shape and substance. So we see water and we think, well, what is water? Or what does it feel like? What's it like? Or we have questions of process and method like, well, how do you make water? And they're really good questions to ask, but they're not the first question that should be asked when it comes to reading the Bible. The first question that should be asked is the question that the Hebrews would have asked because the Bible was written in the first century and before to that culture and that mindset, and it was the question of this, what does God want me to do with this? What does God want me to do with what I'm reading? And so while we never get told what Jesus looked like in the Gospels, one of the best descriptions that we have of what he's like comes from that Old Testament reading, from the, from the prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah who foretold eight centuries before, if you like, Jesus arrived and spoke of a mysterious suffering servant of the Lord. Now, while Jesus' name isn't mentioned in the poem that he writes, it's quite clear, first of all, that the disciples, the early church, and Jesus himself all recognized him in this poem. So if you were to, to look in the New Testament, you would find that the most quoted passage in the, from the Old Testament in the New Testament is this passage. The back few verses of chapter 52 of Isaiah and all of chapter 53. It's quoted 34 times in the New Testament. And they're just, both the disciples, the early church, even Jesus himself quoted from it. And he identified with this image of the suffering servant of the Lord. And so during, if you like, our Sundays as we approach Lent, we're going to gaze and admire this vision of Jesus that we see in this passage. And we're going to take it quite quite slowly because the language is quite poetic and we need to kind of grasp what's going on. And if you like in verses 1 to 3 that were read for us this morning, we kind of have, if you like, the story of Jesus' life. He was born a king, but for the first 30 years there were few signs if you like of his his royal status if we look in verse 2 for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground he had no form or majesty that we should look at him nothing in his appearance that we should desire him that didn't mean that Jesus was ugly It simply meant there was nothing about Jesus' physical appearance that made him stand out. Sure, his the words that he said and his actions made him stand out, but there was nothing in Jesus' physical appearance that made him stand out. Jesus looked like anyone else because he was like anyone else. We know that from the story of Jesus' life. We know that from our life. Jesus worked for a living. Like we do, or, or we did, he was hungry. He got hungry just like we do. He was misunderstood, just like we are. He could be disappointed at times, just like we can be. He was betrayed at times, just as we are. He was tempted, as we saw in our gospel reading, just as we are. In fact, we're told in another part of the Bible that Jesus was tempted in everywhere. The only difference between Jesus and us was that he never succumbed to the temptation and never sinned. So we read that about Jesus, first of all. He would not have stood out in a crowd unless you heard him speak or he did something. And then we read, if we read on in verse 3, we read he was despised and rejected by others. You know, from a very early stage in his life, Jesus knew what it was like to be despised and rejected. You know, think about if you like all the Christmas nativity plays you've ever seen. And think about the one line that the child gets who's the innkeeper. And no room. There's just no room for him. And that was, that was, if you like, the story of Jesus' life from the day he was born. It got very violent shortly afterwards, didn't it? Because he had to go and flee and become a refugee in Egypt. No room. It got hostile again as an adult. He was called satanic. He was rejected by his own community. And had to flee because he was nearly stoned to death in Nazareth. He had nowhere, we read, to lay his head. Or call his home. And ultimately at the end. As we'll see as we move on next week. He was, he was betrayed by those who knew him the most. Never mind what the Roman and the Jewish authorities did to him. You know this sign of no room. Displays so visually. What people think of, of Jesus. And we've all of us. We've all done it. With all, in Isaiah's words at the end there, held him of no account. Yet despite that, despite knowing that rejection, Jesus doesn't give in to the temptation to get even or, or to retaliate. That people often who face rejection do that. Instead... He just welcomes us over and over again. He submits, if you like, to his father's ministry. All through his ministry and all through his life. You see, Jesus' life was modelled upon the practice of submission. Over and over again, we'll read verses like this of Jesus in the Bible. For I have come down not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me of course we see that submission played out ultimately as Jesus journeys to the cross this time when he's tempted in another way not in the wilderness but in a garden when he's tempted not to do the father's will and he prays each three times yet not my will but yours be done that's the inspiration that Jesus is and what does God want us to do? He wants us to live out that same inspirational example. And follow it. In the book of James, I found that the Bible verse that for over 25 years, I found helpful in what it means to, to submit to the Lord and what that looks like. It's in the book of James and chapter 4, verse verse 7. If you want to look at it, it's in the handout or it's on page 247 in your Bibles. It says, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And as the verse before tells us there, to submit biblically requires humility and this life that that jesus lived he lived a life of biblical submission to his father god following that example and he gives us that example that he wants us to follow and one of the ways in which that can happen is by resisting temptation you see temptation is not about self-control temptation is all a test of our faith in God and will we submit to his way you see in Jesus' encounter with the, with the devil in the wilderness it would have been very easy for Jesus to kind of survey the situation and be a people's messiah it would have been very easy for, I think for Jesus to have been a people's messiah he was like one of us You know, just turn the stones into bread and feed the multitudes and be a people's messiah. It would have been very easy for Jesus to have been a king messiah. Kind of like being the king, if you like, of a few people who often didn't follow him that well. And instead, rule over all the kingdoms of the earth. And it would have been very easy for Jesus to kind of be a Torah messiah. And kind of stand at the top and the pinnacle of the temple and all that Judaism represented at that time. Yet on each occasion, he just submits. Submits to his father and is able to resist the devil's alluring invitations. And each time he resists, he does something. He uses this book as a weapon. He uses it as it's described in, in Ephesians 6 as the, as the sword of the Spirit. You know, if you've ever wondered about that conversation that Jesus has with the devil and think, why did Jesus quote what he did? Did he just quote those verses at random? You know, I can't, I don't have time to go through it with you this morning, but if you, if you were to look in your Bible at that particular passage, and if you've never understood how a, how a Bible works, so if we just look at it very quickly on page 65, one of the things you'll find is you'll find that running down both sides of the text in the middle, there's a margin. If you've ever wondered, what's that margin there for? The margin has loads of cross-references. They're references to other passages which link to that verse. And if you look at what Jesus says in the account, he quotes from a particular book in the Bible. That book is the book of Deuteronomy. The reason he does that is first of all because the first hearers of that passage would have... Eyes would have been opened as they hear the story of Jesus wandering around 40 days in the wilderness. And for some of you, you, you will know this. Immediately, they would think straight away of their own journey. Not for 40 days, but 40 years in the wilderness. Immediately, their thoughts would go back to what happened on that journey. And on each time, Jesus will take a particular part of Deuteronomy and quote it back at the devil. Those three references are hugely significant. Because each of them goes back to a time, a time, if you like, when the Israelites had a choice. Were they going to succumb to the temptation or were they going to be faithful to God? You know, were they going to mourn about God because he wasn't providing any food or were they going to trust that the Lord was, he was going to provide or in the next instance, were they going to worship God in Him alone or were they going to follow idols? Or if you take the final temptation, and what happens there? Were they going to put God to the test or were they going to follow Him faithfully? On each of those occasions, if you go and read all the chapters, just the chapters around, you will see that's why Jesus used it. He used the Bible, if you like, as, as a weapon. And the most, one of the most effective ways... To overcome temptation is just to submit to God and use this book as a weapon. Use it as the sword of the Spirit. Use it as as the Bible's described in Hebrews because it's sharper than any two-edged sword and it will cut right through. As Paul would say of the Bible, how in 2 Corinthians 10 it has this power to demolish strongholds and arguments. It just cuts right the way through. You know, as we were talking about last week, if you were here, and I mentioned about the word hand and how powerfully I'd been struck while being on sabbatical about how being able to memorise and meditate upon Bible verses how effective it can be in our spiritual walks in terms of growing to be more like Jesus and especially in resisting temptation and that's what Jesus was like you know do you think Jesus memorised and meditated scripture and he only had the Old Testament I do you know when we think about the fastest-growing church in the world today, and we think about the most persecuted church in the world today. And we, we think about it. I don't know how many of you have taken this this year, basically in this copy of this devotional that's been produced by open doors that works with the persecuted church. And when you find what happens in certain lands that in Afghanistan, if you want to get baptized, you're executed. In Brunei, you can't be a Christian basically and you just think about these things and it brings it all home to us and we think about the biggest church in the world today and the biggest church in the world today is China and we think about what happened in the persecution that Chinese Christians faced in the 40s and the 50s and the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and still today and yet how much they know the Bible and often they can't have one they used to just stick it They used to just take the Bible and they could only rip a page out because that was all they could have. And they just used to stick it on their walls as wallpaper. And they just used to meditate and and focus on it. And they were able to resist the temptation, the hardest temptation. Which is to deny Jesus Christ in public or face execution. That's the hardest temptation. And they just managed that over and over and over again. So, in closing today, let me leave you with a final image. This is an image that, that struck me quite powerfully on, on my sabbatical. You'll find it, it may come up on the screen, you'll find it on the back of the, the handout. It's an image that I saw right from day one of, 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 of my sabbatical. And to kind of show you how important it was to me this is if you like my sabbatical journal of things that happened and you'll find it right on the inside cover you'll see this image (coughs) and it struck me because that first day of my sabbatical I got on that very early morning plane that many of you have got on And then I got on another plane and landed in Edinburgh. And then I kind of got in a car and I drove back into England and went to this place called Lindisfarne or Holy Island. If you've you've never, never been there, kind of think what Elizabeth Castle happens to it in comparison to Jersey and how it gets cut off twice a day. Think of an island that's much obviously bigger nearly the size of this island that gets cut off from the English mainland. And was actually the cradle of Christianity in England. So that's where it all came from. And I and I went and the first I went to the retreat house and the first image I saw was this image. And I kind of looked at it and it grabbed my attention. And then when I went to my room I saw it again and it kind of impacted me almost by osmosis because it was hanging above the pillow of the bed where I was sleeping and I kept getting drawn to it over and over again and first of all I, I looked at it and I thought I looked at the words that he may live in us and we in him And those words may not mean anything to you, but I thought, where have I heard those words before? That he may live in us and we in him. I'm thinking, where have I heard those words before? Where have I heard those words before? And it took a while to click and said, you say those words every Sunday. Because they're actually taken from the communion service that he may live in us, and we in him. And in one sense, this image speaks to me about what submission is all about. Because it's framed around the communion service where we remember Jesus' submissive death and glorious resurrection and ascension. And we can see in the posture of Jesus how it's just this posture of complete submission. Submission. If you like, look at it. The head is bowed. There's this crown of thorns. If you look at the wrists, there's the nail marks in the wrists. And yet you look and he stands with open hands. And with a big open heart. And I see it as an image, not just of Jesus submitting to his father. I see it also as an image of how Jesus submits to us. And how he gives the freedom to each one of us to come as close to him as we want. He never, he never forces himself. He just says, come. And if you look at that image, what you see as well as you see, it comes out clear on the handout, I think, lots of little people. And the little people are, if you like, you and me. And you know, you, if, you, if you talk to the writer who lives on, on Holy Island, she will tell you about how she's drawn it in a particular way, about how each of us are invited. Invited into Jesus' heart. And the little people represent different people at different stages of their journey. So you've got some and they're they're kind of desperately trying to hold on to Jesus' cloak, aren't they? Trying to understand, desperately wanting to know more. Then you've got others and they're kind of leaping. They're kind of leaping into into Jesus' heart, ready to give themselves almost in complete submission to him. And then you've got some, I kind of think about the one that's kind of in his robe under his left hand that are just kind of... Happy to be where they are now. Just chilling. And then there are some that are scared to go further. And so, I just want to leave you this morning with where do you see yourself in the picture? We'll use it as part of our prayers later on but where might jesus be be calling you this lent to to submit to him where might he want you to follow that his example of submission let us pray In a moment, we'll sing that song that we learned at the start. But before we do that, let's just gaze at that image once more. And just in the silence now, allow Jesus to speak to each one of us. Lord Jesus, what an inspiration you are to us. Help us in our lives to live like you did and to follow your ways, we pray. In Jesus' name,
0: amen.